Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora koutou, ko Aiden aho. Hi everyone, my name is Aiden. It's a special treat to be with you today as we start our Advent series titled A Thrill of Hope. And I want to start today with a Māori whakatoki. And it's only four words, so I reckon we could all learn it. Kamua, kamuri. Kamua, kamuri. It means walking backwards into the future. And it provides a great summary and picture of what we're going to be talking about today. The idea is that we can look to the past to help shape the future and draw strength for today. The picture of someone walking backwards into the future captures the three phases of time, past, present, and future. There's past memories, future hopes, and the present walk. Today, I want to touch on each of these tenses and make the key point that in Christ, Our future has been secured by his work in the past so that we can live differently in the present. Or to put it another way, we are enabled to live faithfully in the present by remembering the past and by hoping in the future. To do this, we're going to examine a passage from 1 Peter, which weaves together past, present and future. So let's read from 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Christmas time is composed of both memory and hope. It's quite a strange mix, really, because Advent is all about anticipation. But the thing that we're anticipating has already happened over 2,000 years ago. So what we try to do is remember the anticipation that would have accompanied the first Christmas, what it would have felt like to be an Israelite living between the Testaments, losing hope and never having heard from a prophet in your lifetime, but still holding on to this hope passed down through generations of a coming Messiah. We try to get 
into their shoes or sandals probably. But it's hard, right? We know the story. We've seen it and heard it and read it so many times. But as much as we might wish that we were alive in the time of Jesus, our place in history actually puts us in a privileged position. Privileged in the sense that we can see more of the story. We can see a more zoomed out version of this story that we're a part of. Celebrating Christmas in 2023, we can remember this special birth and know that this was Jesus and know that just how extraordinary this moment was. We can remember his life and his teaching and character and his example. We can remember his death as a sacrifice on, our, on behalf of our sin. And we can remember not just Jesus' birth, but his rebirth from the dead in his resurrection. And according to Peter, this is the very reason that we have hope, a living hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not just another miracle in the list of miraculous things that Jesus did. It's not even comparable to Jesus bringing people back to life in his ministry. Those people, unfortunately for them, still died. Jesus, however, resurrected was the first human to be raised to new eternal life in a renewed and glorious body, the first fruits from the dead. In a world where everything since the fall has always decayed, aged, and eventually stopped breathing, Jesus came to life in the tomb and eternity took its first breath. The kingdom of heaven broke into a dying world. At Christmas, we remember that the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only source of true hope for the future. But hope is kind of one of these words like love that has almost lost its meaning. It's so often used in everyday talk as just a nice thing to say, or a fingers crossed wish that something happens. Like the classic email greeting, I hope this finds you well. What does that mean? You know? Or I hope you feel better soon. Or I hope we finally have some good weather this summer. I hope I uh, get good results in my exams or assignments. I hope I get that job or, or that partner or house or experience. The list of hoped for futures goes on and on. But is this different to the hope we have as Christians? The hope that we remember at Christmas? Pastor and writer John Mark Comer reminds us that as Christians, we need to aim our hope over the horizon of this world into eternity. Aim our hope over the horizon of this world into eternity. There's nothing wrong with hoping for things tomorrow or later in life, with having goals and working hard to achieve them, in praying for the desires of our heart and hoping that God answers our prayers. But that is the different type of hope to the hope that we have in eternity. Hopes in this life often disappoint. Apart from the presence of God with us, there are literally no guarantees. And perhaps you've experienced that and you've given up hoping for anything at all. Not wanting to get our hopes up is a natural response to constant disappointment. 
But in comparison, as followers of Christ, our hope in eternity is absolutely guaranteed. However, I know personally how rarely I think or remember this hope. If I do think of heaven, it's normally as an eternal backup plan. Like I'll just live my best life down here for now and then heaven will be what it will be later on. It doesn't affect my life, but it's a nice insurance policy in the back of my mind. That's just being honest. I wonder if any of you feel the same. There's a theologian, N.T. Wright, and, and he sums up what he thinks most Christians' attitudes are to hope when he says that uh, what we have at the moment isn't the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. I think he's right. And I think if we can, as a Christian people, recapture the wonder and assurance of hope, it will transform our lives, our community, and our witness. So what is our hope? Going to Peter's passage, he describes it as both a living hope and an inheritance. And there's a tension here. On the one hand, our hope is living already, able to be partially experienced. It is a living hope. But it's also an inheritance, something to come later. So our hope is both already and not yet. Something that is ready, is prepared, but yet to be revealed. And I had an experience earlier this year that helped me to grasp this concept in a new way. See, Keely and I and some friends were, were lucky enough, fortunate enough to be able to do the Milford Trek in January. And it was our third day of walking and we were going over the McKinnon Pass, which is known for its spectacular alpine views. It's the highest part of the walk and you're up close and personal with these huge mountains you've been looking at during the trek so far. But as is often the case, as we ascended, we ascended into cloud. And visibility was so low, you could barely see 20 meters in front of you. So we decided to, to hold out at the top. There was a shelter there. We brewed up a coffee and we hoped that the cloud would clear. But unfortunately, it didn't seem to be shifting. And we had a long walk to do, so we had to get moving. So we started to go down. Now, here's a photo of what we could see, you know, what we've been looking forward to. This is what we could see. But then, all of a sudden, the cloud started to lift. Dramatic mountains were revealed way bigger and closer than I had imagined. And we were literally in awe. People were like screaming as they went around the corner because it was like, Far out, how are these mountains here? And what I realized is that this, something revealed is already there before it is revealed. The mountains were there the whole time. The fact that I couldn't see them didn't make them any less real. In the same way, the glory of God exists now. Our inheritance is a real thing now, even if we can't see it. God is here now, even if we can't see him. And when the clouds roll back at the end of time and all things are revealed, we will bow down in awe. This is what Horatio Spafford pictures in the final verse of his great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Friends, that day is coming. But right now, 
we live in this balance between memory and hope. Especially at Christmas time when we remember Jesus' first coming and we eagerly await his second coming. Our time is the time in between. We remember the birth and rebirth of our living hope and anticipate the day when it will be fully realized. We remember the sacrifice that secures our inheritance, but we await the day when we inherit it in full. Memory, spurring hope, providing strength for today. Kamua Kamuri, walking backwards into the future. And one way that we can physically locate ourselves in this story is through the practice of communion. In communion, we do both these things. We remember and we hope and we fix ourselves at our point in the story. We remember that the baby who was born at Christmas was incredibly the very son of God and that having been born in humility, lived in purity, healed holistically, loved impartially, he died sacrificially and after three days rose victoriously. What a savior we remember in Jesus. But in communion, we also look forward in hope. We anticipate the return of Jesus and him setting all things right. The communion meal is a foretaste of the great banquet banquet we will have in heaven in full communion with the triune God and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to take communion midway through this message or a little bit past midway, I'll let you know. Uh, But we're going to represent this time of both remembering and hoping. And as we do so, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 26. And then you have time to take communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In all this talk of the past and the future, it can be easy to lose track of the here and now. Christians have often been accused of being stuck in the past 
or being so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. And this is not what we're saying. And, and this was not what Peter was saying in his letter. And in verse 13, he switches to present tense application mode. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. I think it's worth looking at some varying translations of this phrase, prepare your minds for action. Some of the more literal translations go with gird up the loins of your mind, which play on this idea of an individual in long customary robes, hitching them up to, to go for a walk or run. But more modern paraphrases use ideas like roll up your sleeves and get your head in the game. And I love how all of these contribute to the picture of someone preparing for action physically and mentally. Instead of telling uh, his readers to hold tight and wait for eternity, instead of telling them to give up on this world and wait it out because only eternity matters, Peter launches into practical instructions on how to live now based on their future hope. This is where the rubber meets the road. Our future hope should and has to affect our current lives. After all, knowledge of the future always affects present action. Here's an example. If you knew for sure the winning lottery tickets next week, what would you do? I know some of you are saying I don't gamble. If you knew for sure, I reckon you'll buy a ticket. If you know tomorrow the forecast is for wind and rain, you're probably not going to go paddleboarding. And when a rugby team knows they have a penalty advantage, they often take more risks because they know they can come back to a penalty. See, what we believe will happen in the future affects how we live and act in the present. One specific area of our present lives that hope can affect is how we share our faith. Hope and evangelism go hand in hand together. Eternally hopeful Christians make the best witnesses. Two chapters later on, we see this in one of the most well-known verses on evangelism. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We often read this verse and focus on being prepared, right? Like, what will I say if someone asks me about my faith? Maybe we learn like a short gospel presentation and we, we do need to be prepared. But I think we miss the other half of this verse a lot of the time. The reason there is any opportunity to share in the first place, hope. If we're not living as a people of Christian hope, no one's going to ask us to explain that hope. If we're just as hopeless and nihilistic as the world, then why would anyone care about our faith? But as we approach Christmas, what an opportunity we have to be a people of hope. As we're reminded again that however dark this world gets, light has broken in and established itself so that it can never be extinguished. Despite the challenges we all face, if we can be a people whose lives overflow with hope, those around us will 100% notice. And then they will have a reason to ask us, what on earth do you have to be hopeful about? And we can explain that we have a living hope named Jesus, a hope that stretches beyond the horizon of this world, a secure hope because the work is finished 
and the end is written. And that enables us to live differently in the in-between. As we close, I want to pray over you the words of Paul from Romans 14 to 14 verse 13. And then we're going to close by singing and celebrating Jesus, our living hope. So here's my prayer for you this Christmas. If you're keen, close your eyes, find some stillness and receive this blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.